0: Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Muller, She wrote media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, my returning guest is Democratic strategist Simon Rosenberg. I absolutely love talking to him because he's smart, he's optimistic, and he knows his stuff. But before we get into it, the Start Me Up podcast is independent, listener-funded, and woman-run. Visit patreon.com startmeup to see the variety of tiers offered, including the option to get two bonus What's Up episodes per week. Kind of like my online journal where I get a little more personal and talk about whatever is on my mind there's also an ad free tier with a much shorter intro just visit patreon.com start me up now please enjoy my conversation with simon rosenberg welcome back to the show simon
1: it's great to be here kimberly
0: well i'm really glad you're here and i feel like you are very needed because okay (laughs) first of all before the midterms we had a couple of conversations and you were all about optimism which i love and I just want to reiterate to people that optimism isn't always the same as positive thinking. Because, and I put it this way, if, if your pet dies, you can obviously be devastated and you can cry and you can feel that grief. But you can still have an optimistic attitude. You don't necessarily have to take on a positive attitude about, you know, grief or something. So in the midst of horrible things going on, we can still hold an optimistic attitude in an overall sense and that's i think you know i mean your optimism came from straight up data as opposed yep. to those you know stupid polls that were funded by republicans so what i wanted to ask you i mean you know we we spoke before the midterms Yep. And uh, you were correct. You and, and a few people, including Boozy, which I know you're not affili- affiliated with, Christopher Boozy, you guys were getting it right while everybody else was getting it wrong. And you were ignoring these fake polls saying that there's going to be a red wave. So I am just wanted to know, what are your takeaways from the midterms?
1: Well, so there was a big media fail. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I don't think there's really been a reckoning yet. I mean, the New York Times did a phenomenal job. Uh, in a piece that they wrote at the end of December, where they went deep into the false red wave, and they and they named and shamed. I mean, they did it. It was a, if you haven't read it, it's worth um, reading. It's all the listeners here should check it out. And one of the things they talked about that I thought was very interesting was that part of the the problem with polling now is that the response rates are so low that to do a high quality poll, it's getting very expensive. And so what that means is we're getting more junky polls, and we're also getting less good polls. Mm-hmm. And so there was, a, you know, the the, re, the return of the red wave happened for a lot of reasons in the last few months of the election, but a primary reason was that there was this flood of uh, very Republican polls by Republican polling organizations that I think was intended to game the polling averages and mm-hmm. to create a perception that there was a red wave and that Democrats were done. And, and I think this idea... You know dr timothy snyder talks about this a lot right that part of what you know right wing or organizations try to do is to argue that there's no reason for you to fight right that you it's mm-hmm. inevitable that they're going to win we're going to lose and and i think that we just didn't tom bonnier and i who i did a lot of the work with mm-hmm. we just didn't see the same thing in the data when you looked at the uh, senate polls uh, that were done by independent media organizations we saw a close competitive election. A majority of the tracking polls in the last few weeks had the Democrats ahead, close competitive election. When you looked at the early vote data that we were getting, it also, we were outperforming both 2018 and 2020, which was which were good elections for us. So what we kept saying is what we're seeing in the data is a close competitive election and the Democrats have a shot. And, you know, thank God that's what happened. I mean, yeah. and, and then, you know, and then what did happen and what we know now Looking back, is there really the first of all the election wasn't nationalized. Sort of an extraordinary thing happened um, that there were really two elections. There was a bluer election inside the battleground, and a redder election outside the battleground. And the way to think about this is that the power of our grassroots, the money that people raised, the volunteer, you know, the texting they did, the calls they made, the information warriors like you, Kimberly, all the work that we all did. Focused on the battleground, gave our candidates the ability, these huge, we outraised our opponents two, three, four to one in the among the candidates. Our campaigns are bigger and stronger and more muscular than they've ever been. It meant that in the battleground, we could control the information environment and reach GOTV targets that we'd never been able to reach before, because we have far more muscular field operations and GOTV operations. And so where it mattered we were able to not only just hold our own, but we actually gained ground. It's an incredible achievement given the circumstances. We gained ground in Arizona, Colorado, Mm -hmm. Georgia, Minnesota, uh, Michigan, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania. Um, We picked up, as you know, three governor's seats. We picked Mm -hmm. up a Senate seat. We picked up four state legislative chambers. So that's the good news, right, is that when we focus and do our work as a big, muscular, hungry patriotic family that's fighting for our future, right? We can do good. But outside the battleground, where we didn't have those muscular campaigns, we lost ground. We lost Mm -hmm. ground in California, New York, Florida, Mm -hmm. Texas. And so the admonition to us is that we need this time to not only run these muscular campaigns and have everybody do their thing, but we also need to get more intentional about controlling the national narrative every day and and becoming information warriors you know for our democracy and i can talk more about that but that's the part of the reason i'm talking so much about getting loud and fighting in the daily information war is that you know they're louder than we are Mm -hmm. they're not better than we are they're not more virtuous than we are but they're louder and it's why kimberly you do your work right Mm -hmm. it's like what you do every day you help us get louder right it's what you do it's what you dedicated yourself to but we have to do more Mm because we're just not loud enough and if we can do both, have these muscular campaigns and get really loud and control—and do a better job of controlling the daily national uh, information war or information discourse, you know, then we're going to really beat MAGA.
0: I do want to ask you about, you know, information warriors, especially at this stage because we're two years out now. We have a lot of time. But before we get into that, I just wanted to ask you uh, what we should expect to see from the State of the Union tonight.
1: Yeah, and I was just on a briefing with Anita Dunn uh, in the White House and I, I don't think there's going to be any big surprises. I think it's going to be an optimistic speech that the president's going to go through and talk about how much better off we are today because of the last 2 years that and we still but we can't be satisfied with where we are. There's still a lot more that we can do. I do think there is a deep awareness now in the administration and the White House that people are not aware of all the good things Mm -hmm. that have happened Mm -hmm. the progress we've made and that they and anita actually said you know we all have a lot of work to do here in essence similar to my argument about information warriors right like we've got to tell our story and become more intentional about Mm -hmm. it and i think kimberly where you were going is that a lot of our grassroots right are get loud during campaigns right they give candidates money they do texting they write postcards they go door to door but we have to do it every day
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and it's not about what happens in the campaign and part of what I'm challenging the family our family mm-hmm. who works so hard is that you know they get up and they're operating in this information environment trying to win the information battle 24/ 7 365 mm-hmm. we have to do the same thing mm-hmm. and and it's and it's not something that we do you know starting in the spring of next year it's right. so what we have to do now today and I think this is the beginning. The president's giving us talking points and argument uh, you know, that we can make about who we are, what we have done, where we want to take the country. I feel like this is going to be a really good speech tonight. It's going to give us a lot of material to take to the Republicans in the next few months.
0: Yeah, and I'd like to remind – I've talked about this before briefly. Um, there's a book by a woman named Claire Connor, and it's called Wrapped in the Flag. She talks about growing up her father was one of the founding members along with Fred Koch of the John Birch Society and 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 I think it's extremely important that people understand because she, this is such a good book because she gives a very personal story it's interesting she's a good writer very relatable and she just talks about everything that they wanted to accomplish and this was you know I don't remember what year 40s maybe uh, late mid 40s I think she's about my mom's age so she's a boomer Her parents were in the John Birch Society, and, you know, she started freaking out in 2012 because she saw the Tea Party emerging, 2010, I should say, 2011. She saw the Tea Party, which is basically the John Birch Society, and they have the long game, and that's what it's about. Because for so many years, for decades, the Republicans, you know, they had the moral majority, and they had all – they had – obviously they had power and all of that but the John Birch specifics which I think eventually evolved into what we're seeing now with Trumpism they didn't hold power Uh, now in 2011 they got in with the Tea Party so we're seeing you know Ted Cruz types and all that the Sarah Palin's and and everything that's just come from that and and so I think everybody should read this book wrapped in the flag it's so good okay so um, Mm -hmm. and it will help us understand that it is the long game, and I think that's important, and uh, what I kind of want to ask you here is, you know, 30 years ago, we argued policy. We argued about the deficit. I mean, we kind of are now, but, you know, we were arguing about policy stuff. Now, you have people like Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh, and they they are basically getting trans people killed or they're setting trans people up to be killed with their extremely dangerous anti-trans rhetoric. You have Lauren Boebert basically wishing the president dead, very careful with her language about it, but she does this. So we're not just, you know, debating politics anymore. This is a culture war. They're they're calling us satanic. They're saying that we're pedophiles. When of course, whenever we hear these stories about, you know, somebody political being a pedophile, it's usually a Republican. So, but we're we're facing something that we haven't faced. And so what I wanted to ask you is, I mean, I know yeah. there are certain things Democrats have done that we can boast about, but how do we counter that?
1: Well, I, you know, th- this is really a lot of what I've been talking about since the election. And, you know, I have been in this full time for 30 years. I was a TV writer and producer before I went, you know, full time into politics and, so I grew up in the media business. I worked for ABC News right out of college, and grew up in that world, and and made the made the transition over. And so, part of my focus has always been about, you know, and I was in the War Room in 1992, and the, the goal of the War Room was to win the information war every day. We use different language to describe it, but in essence, that was, you know, what we set out to do is to organize a campaign differently to battle in the information space, not just in the traditional political space, yeah. and. Clinton was a very powerful communicator we had a very strong agenda and i think i think the most important thing i can say is we you, we have to spend more time talking about who we are what we believe what we've done what our agenda is and less time responding to them hmm. i think i think this is like a thing we have to wean ourselves from a little bit we know who they are
0: mm-hmm.
1: right we know who they are we don't we don't need any additional information right and i think what happens is that we we spend too much of our collective time promoting them and and helping them gain notoriety because we're so freaked out outraged stunned right all the words that we are but we have to wean ourselves from that and we have to i think approach our daily communications very differently and this is something that i've done in my own public engagement which is that I spend most of my communication with all of you talking about the positive things that we've done, and I'm spending very little time talking about that. And I think this is really important because when I worked at the DCCC in 2018 and I helped develop the strategy that flipped the house in 2018, we used the term getting loud. This was a term we used in the committee. It's something I've appropriated recently. But what we and I was I worked on countering disinformation, but what I told everybody is the most effective way we can counter disinformation is by taking up going on offense and and filling the information space so that they can't push us around in the information space that. And so, you know, part of what we have to do is that we have to learn the story of the Democratic Party. We have to understand the good things that we've done. We have to talk about the virtues of Joe Biden's agenda. We have to celebrate the people in our family who are doing good work because I think at the end of the day, an optimistic Democrat beats a pessimistic, hmm. you know, a dark, you know, MAGA person every day of the week. I don't think people want to live in the darkness. They want to live in the light. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that we have not, I think we have been so overwhelmed by our fear and by their bullying and by the power of right-wing media that we become complicit to some degree in, in pushing their narratives into the mainstream. And so, Kimberly, I'm not telling you not to talk about this. What I'm saying no. is that it's it's about emphasis, right? Two-thirds of your work should be about extolling the yes. good things we do, and one-third should be about talking about them. And the truth is I'm kind of bored about talking about them. I'm bored of talking about Margie Taylor Green and Lauren Boebert. I mean, it's just the new who comes cycles through, who's the latest, version of the extremists and what kind of dance can they do what kind of crazy language i don't really care right i mean honestly i don't care we are we know that extremism and extremists have taken over the republican party what are we going to do about it right and to me the most important thing we can do is that we have to get louder make a positive case we have to sell we have to talk to Americans about the greatness and goodness of this country. Let's let the Republicans be the ones that sell us short every day. And and so I that's been a lot of the work that I've been doing. And I think I think this is really I'm very grateful for this conversation because I I do think that it's kind of easy. I think we got to collectively as a family. And one of the reasons I started doing shows like yours and I started becoming a much more of a public figure frankly than I've been in a long time is that um I felt that we had become too dark, yeah. that we had become too uh, pessimistic, that we had turned on each other. Mm-hmm. And, the th- and if I can say this last thing, there's—I've come to believe something very deeply about MAGA, and and a, and is that MAGA is a negative sentiment machine. It wants us to think badly about each other, mm-hmm. about our country, about our leaders, our institutions, about democracy, about America, about everything. Right? They want us to think that. Badly, we have to respond to that negative sentiment with more positive sentiment, and to talk to. Uh, and I think Joe Biden's going to do that tonight mm-hmm. in his State of the Union, and it's something that we have to get better at. We can't be more pessimistic than they are. It's impossible. So if we're going to beat them, I think we have to beat them through positive sentiment, and and not hopium but hope. Mm-hmm. Not you know not misplaced, ridiculous, wild-eyed, crazy optimism. But to your point, steely eyed, data driven Mm -hmm. optimism, right? You know, we can do this. This is that's when we're at our best, is when we are warriors for freedom and democracy. It's what FDR taught us in the thirties and forties, right? And we're being called on to be the warriors for democracy and freedom once again. And I the point though is that we have no choice but other than to succeed. The stakes here are very high and we can't, you know, we have to keep working really hard.
0: Totally. You know, we have to take a quick break, but we will be back after this message. Hey, this is Kimberly. If you're not already my patron, just visit patreon.com startmeup. You can take a look at all the tiers and decide how you want to support the show. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV. The Kia EV9 with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults with a zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available reclining lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Okay, we're back. All right, that, you know, you made some really great points, and I, wanna, I just want to ask have so many things swirling through my head but i think it's such a good idea that you say spend like maybe two-thirds of your time focusing on the positives in, being the information warrior um i do want to say uh there every once in a while you see somebody out there in you know political twitter world or whatever coming down on you for saying why are you paying attention to this person and I, I you know specifically politically and in some case I mean I think it's always important that we have to understand who we're dealing with so I don't think those people should be ignored because when they're ignored I think we basically give them yep. you know a microphone and go go ahead and say whatever you want we have to counter them um, so I you know I, I don't like it when I see the liberal scold saying don't pay attention to this person because you know like don't pay attention to Jim Jordan is to me the stupidest advice you could ever get Although I have blocked him on Twitter because I hate him so much, but I do follow <laughs> what he does, yeah. right? And I want to be aware of what he's doing. But yeah. you know, what outside? You know, would you say like to the average you know Twitter person um, who's who's online all the time? Are you basically saying spend two-thirds of your time promoting the democratic agenda and spend a third of your time, you know, whatever, countering the bullshit from the right or something like that? Is that your basic I, message?
1: Yeah, because I think what the right has done and what the right-wing noise machine has done is that it's caused us as a nation to lose confidence in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and that we think less of ourselves than we – you know, than – we should be. I mean, we are the greatest country in the world. The economy, we have the strongest recovery in the G7. We, The Democrats have created 96% of all jobs since 1989. I mean, I, my, I do this presentation called With Democrats, Things Get Better. And if you like this conversation today, come. I'm doing two live versions of it next week. Please come watch, you know, NDN.org. You can find me on Twitter. But the point is, is that I am, whether it's two-thirds or three-quarters, is that we we need to learn here's the other way i'm thinking about this i worked in the war room in 1992 and what the war room was james carville george stephanopoulos or about 20 of us including tony blinken was involved in the in the war room in 1992 and we we organized the campaign around arguments mm-hmm. and about you know it's what you were getting at about the long game right we were making arguments every day aren't moving messages there's a difference right hmm. messages are ephemeral arguments are more durable and stronger mm-hmm. and last over a longer period of time i don't like the concept of messaging i think it's too ephemeral and i think i think people see it as being weak and ephemeral like you don't actually have conviction and belief hmm. arguments are you know coming from conviction and belief and i and i think and and data often. Hmm. I, and so i think that the the war room in 1992 was you know 2025 20, people the war room today has to be 4 million proud patriots getting up yes. every day yes. you know spreading spreading you know positive information about who we are telling our story if you're one of those 4 million and you reach 10 people you know that means together we're reaching 40 million people mm-hmm. that's what they have what they have on their side is they are networked and amplified mm-hmm. They have Fox News, and it was Trump's Twitter feed, send stuff out, and then they know that part of their job is being a MAGA, being a Republican, is to spread this stuff through their social networks and through all their networks. However, they have networks, physical networks, you know, email networks, mm-hmm. your networks, right? We've never really been asked to do that mm-hmm. in the Democratic no. Party. No. We, are, we aren't networked and amplified. I'm asking you to do that. Right. I'm giving you permission. I'm encouraging you to become networked and amplified, and for us to build a war room organically. I think we're already halfway there. Mm-hmm. I think the combination of the kind of work that you do, Kimberly, and you know organizations like Courier Newsroom and Resolute Square and the Midas Touch, mm-hmm. and you know all your colleagues, you know that you work with, we are you're starting to see the beginning of of ecosystems yes. and loudness. Right? We have all these new organizations. But, we, but where the missing piece is, to me, is what people do. We need, I think the only way in the next few years that we can match what the Republicans have is if three or four million proud patriots get up every day and start getting loud with us in this new idea of a four million person war room every day. I think we can do that. I think that's within our capacity. I don't, I don't think this is pie in the sky, but it's a failure of imagination. Yeah. that we haven't actually asked you know everyone to do it and that's one of the reasons I'm here and I'm asking all of you and I'm part of what I do in my own work is that I'm producing a lot of material that I for people to use in these debates that they have in their own <laughs> communities right
0: yeah. and
1: and I'm trying to feed the beast so to speak right mm-hmm. and um and that's where I'm spending a lot of my time is producing stuff that's digestible that's simple that you can use as charts and graphs right not big complicated you know things and we have to get better about all this much more intentional about winning the information war every day not just during election time uh putting more positive sentiment into our discourse and recognizing that you know we don't really have any choice other than that we have to win this thing
0: yeah and i would just like to add i mean aside from please follow simon and take his information and use it the way he wants you to because you know we're, and I've, I've, I've said this before, and I do believe we need it, but I, I also understand this a little more clearly now, and that is, you know, Democrats, Democratic voters often get upset with a party and say, the messaging sucks, the messaging sucks, and the right-wingers know how to do it. But if, if everybody were to really just look at what's happening, it's not so much coming from the Republican Party, it's coming from all that money. Right. The messaging is coming from think tanks. The messaging is coming from Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro and yep. Kirk, uh, whatever his name is, um, who I can't I can't even I can't Charlie Kirk. That's who. So yep. people like that are creating the messaging for the right. Granted, yes, we've got people like Jim Jordan. We've got uh, Matt Gates and all of But they're not necessarily messaging. They're echoing the messaging that they're hearing from the money people. Now, the Democrats, as you pointed out, don't necessarily have that machine. They don't have the messaging machine, and it's not the party. I think the party is doing an excellent job right now of explaining what they've been doing. It's, and I want to ask you about this in a, in a minute, but like, I think the yeah. news media is not doing a great job of spreading that information. No.
1: No and and I and I think the point I'm trying to make to you is that we have to stop expecting that this is going to be done for us. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we have to do it ourselves. Yes. We and have part to do of it. yeah, yes. we have to do it. It's what you do, Kimberly, right? Like yeah. you were just a person, right? And now you're an information warrior. I'm the same thing. I'm just a guy, right? Like I'm just a guy sitting in my son's bedroom right now in in Northwest Washington and we're just people, right? We're patriots. We love yeah. our country. We want better than what we're being told, and I think that there's a little bit of Stockholm syndrome for Democrats in this stuff, is that what the Republicans, think of the Republicans as the Wizard of Oz, right? Is that the bluster, 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 loudness, 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 (laughs) we pull the court curtain back and there's, you know, shitty Donald Trump (laughs) behind the curtain. It's all bullshit, right? It's all red wave. It's all, you know, bluster. And the thing is, they want us to be blown over by the bluster. Yes, yes. They want us to give up in advance. What, Tim, what Dr. Timothy Snyder says in his book about uh, about authoritarianism is he said the number one lesson is do not obey in advance. <laughs> and part of what wow. I'm saying to you is um, we need to have more sense of agency, mm-hmm. right? Each of us have a role to play. Many people listening today have taken that sense of agency to give money, to write postcards, yes. to door knock, right, to do all the stuff, to listen to your podcast. But now we need to do more. We need mm-hmm. to do all of that, and now we need to do more. We are not winning the Daily Information War. We will not be where we want to be in 2024 and beyond unless we start to win the Daily Information War. This is an urgent, collective political priority, and we win it both. You know, I was in the war room. You ask about positive and negative, right? It was The war room was, to a great degree, about getting there first making our argument sharing mm-hmm. our agenda and then when the attacks came in we responded but you have to start you know I was I went on Fox for 17 years I was a regular guest I did thousands of Fox interviews and no matter what the question was in every interview I did I always started with like let me tell you what I think about that. Mm-hmm. I didn't answer the question. I just put <laughs> out I just put out there that like, you know, Joe Biden did a good job on this, right? And then I was like, like oh yeah. And then they would push me back. But yeah. I started with positive right. information in every interview before I started responding to the more aggressive tactics, right? And I think that's that's a discipline that we have mm-hmm. to develop. That you start you you start by defining the space, being positive, making your case. And then you part and then you parlay back and forth, right? But what happens is that we are often starting in a defensive place. Mm-hmm. We're starting in a place that's been defined by them. Yes. Instead of starting in the place that we define for ourselves. And so when we do that, right, we're we're allowing them to use the old Lakoff way of talking about this is that we're we're ceding to their frame. Mm-hmm. We're allowing them to frame. And when you're operating in somebody else's frame, you can never win an argument. We have to create our own frame. Mm-hmm. We we need we have to not accept the you know the I tweeted yesterday. It's gotten a lot. It's got hundreds of thousands of you know views. But you know think about what they do every day. Thank you for letting me just go on about this. It's <laughs> cathartic, by the way. But think about what they do every day. Right? They have these one word things that they shout. Right? Benghazi, yeah. inflation, recession, you know, wokeism, mm-hmm. right? It's like literally their party is like, if we can think of it in your mind's eye, it's like a person standing in a street corner, jumping up and down and waving <laughs> their arms in the yeah. air, right? Yeah. that's literally who they are. They don't right. have a governing agenda. They don't have anything they really want to do. They just want to shout and be performative and get on Fox News and you know, make money, sell books, and it's a business for them, right? And so, we have to recognize that they're not actually really having a serious discussion with us, right? And that the American people, what they expect from us is something different than what they expect from them. You know, they expect us to be responsible. Mm -hmm. We govern effectively. We've done a good job. And one of the things that I think Democrats, you know, I think this really became apparent during the BBB fight in the fall and winter of 2021, which is that, even though joe biden has gotten like 80 90 percent done of what everybody mm-hmm. wanted even with no functioning majority basically in either chamber there have been people in our family that have spent an enormous amount of time talking about all the things that didn't get done yes and i know that at, that when you work for an advocacy organization that's your job mm-hmm. right is to say but the problem is that doesn't work in politics mm-hmm. in politics you have to start with how far we've come and how much good mm-hmm. we've done. And then talk about all the things you're going to do. Yeah. If you start with the stuff you haven't done, you know, you're basically, you know, you're basically, you know, blowing up your own yeah. party. If you do that, right. Yeah, you're and digging so a hole
0: and in going into it and saying,
1: and the truth is, look, I, I want to just, if I can make one point and this is what I talk about, I've
0: made more than one point
1: today. One more <laughs> one more point. Thank you. We love your so points. Much. I know. So let me let me say this, and this is in my presentation I gave it. I hope everyone can watch it. I wanna before we go say this. That coming out of World War II and the devastation that happened now after two world wars, the leader of the Democratic Party, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, created a world based on four freedoms, right? Around freedoms not around, he and and the those four freedoms, which were enshrined in the United Nations as the foundational sort of frame, created a world where people today have more opportunity to achieve their dreams than any time in all of human history. There has never been a time, this is a golden age in the history of humanity, mm-hmm. there's never been a time when so many people, including people of color, minorities, disadvantaged people, women, have had the opportunities that they've had here in the United States and all around the world. And you've seen life expectancy go from 45 years to mid-70s. You've seen poverty rates plummet, right? I can go down a long list of stuff. There's never been a better time to be alive in all of human history. Mm -hmm. And we did that. Mm -hmm. Our party did that. We created that world. We've done more good for the people of the world than any other organized interest or political group in all of human history. That's the party that we're part of. And that party now needs to fight like hell to preserve that global system that FDR imagined and built after World War II that has created a golden age. Because MAGA and Putin and Xi and lots of other people want to tear that down, and they don't like that. Aid, that freedom and opportunity that we've provided that we've created a system that's given people that's been based on freedom that's the stakes of where we are now that's why you get up every day Kimberly and do your work this is urgent work and I just want people to feel as proud of our of, of the Democratic Party as I am and part of what I talk about in my presentation is I go through at the end all of this what I'm talking about now and I show all the things we've done the civil rights movement establishing social safety net right moving to universal health care now the largest climate bill in any government in the history of the world I mean all the things that we've done it's an extraordinary list and then when you look at their list of what they've done, their list is they opposed all that good stuff mm-hmm. right and and I used to say when I began this presentation, well Republicans you know we've moved the country forward they haven't done their part. And now, though, we know that it's worse than that. That's what you were getting Mm -hmm. at earlier. That Mm -hmm. is, there's a malevolence that's crept into their politics, not just an incompetence. And we have to be honest about that and forthright, but we can't let it overwhelm us, right? Because at the end of the day, our job is to keep things moving forward, to create, to continue to create opportunity and possibility for people. And I think that's what you're gonna hear in the speech tonight.
0: Now, let me ask you, um, is this presentation gonna be recorded?
1: Yeah, there's a recording of it on my – I now have a YouTube channel. I, I, I You know, I am not – I, it's very funny for people who don't know me. I mean, I – essentially, my work is I advise politicians. I was not a very public figure yeah. up until in the last year. And I, I used to do a lot of television, but it was hard to find my stuff. I mean, I wasn't out there because I only were talking to the media and to people here in D.C. I'm now becoming a more public figure. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I understand my job now. So I built a YouTube channel, which uh, in my Twitter feed is Simon uh, WDC. My YouTube channel is the same. You can go to my website at NDN.org and find a recording of with Democrats, things get better. Um, And there's also it's on the YouTube channel. I do a new showing of it every month because we get new data every month and I update it every month. And so it's like I'm an old deadhead, right? Like every time (laughs) you see it, it, it's a new it's a new show. Right. And. Uh, it's new and different every time, and so if you saw it six months ago, the version you'll see next week will be different, and it will have evolved from where it was six months ago, um, and so I'm constantly updating it to make sure people have the best data to make these arguments that we need to make to the to the American people.
0: I really want it I want you to send me the uh, thing you were just talking about, about how um... – what what were you just I just wrote it down, I was reading my notes, but about how, you know, we've created this. I, I want I, I first of all, I want you to go on M S N B C on every single show and say this so desperately. <laughs> um weren't you on Lawrence? Didn't you go on Lawrence? I've gone on Lawrence, on... <laughs> I've been on Joy Reid I'm I'm gonna start I
1: haven't really made a major effort to go on T V recently, but I'm gonna start doing that again. I, I've been <laughs> Say all proposal. this.
0: Say it all. I know. I have a
1: book proposal <laughs> that gets into all the stuff we're talking about. Um, that's uh, I just finished. I hopefully the final draft this morning. Oh wow! And it's what I've been doing a lot of in the last couple of weeks, and so I'm I'm hopeful that I'll be able to.
0: I'm sure sell the you book will. And, yeah.
1: Yeah. I hope so. I it's going to be. So. But it's it's called "With Democrats Things Get Better," and it's called right Very now the cool. working title is "With Democrats Things Get Better: How We Defeat MAGA." tell our story and and, um, and and ensure, not ensure, but it's something like ensure that uh, oh yeah, ensure that democracy and freedom prevail. And and that's the, the thing I'm trying to write.
0: Wow, that's awesome. And I just kind of want to throw something in there because for those of you who don't know, I think a lot of you know, I am the social media director for MSW Media, which is Muller She Wrote, and I also have access to the Daily Beans page. So basically, I am Part of what I'm trying to do is create this optimistic tone. Of course, I'm going to be sharing a lot of Simon's stuff, but I'm encouraging all of you to please go, you know, it's MSW, I think it's MSW Media Pods, and then, of course, the Daily Beans. Um, Because we're going to, you know, I'm going to be trying to focus. I, I like Alison Gill, you know, when she's been on my show, we've always focused on the fact that we need to remain optimistic and we need to remember, just like everything that you pointed out, um, so FYI, and then I, the last thing I want to ask you about before I let you go is, you know, there are all these new s- social media platforms opening up, spout, uh, Spoutable just launched. I know that there's some glitches, but that's just, just means he's successful because everybody wants on. And, <laughs> you know, whether it's Post or wherever you like to be, I think that we are going to start seeing, I can specifically talk about Post and Spoutable. The the people who are running these websites are not going to allow targeted harassment. They're not going to allow spreading of disinformation, whether it's about COVID or politics or anything. And so my question to you about this is: Are you feeling like because you know Elon Musk purchased Twitter, everybody was upset, yeah. and um, you know now it's starting to change, and all these new sites are going to crop up? I don't know if we're eventually going to get back to like two main hubs, or if, if it's just going to be more diversified. But are you feeling? like there's a positive thing having to do with people creating social media sites that are not allowing all of this. Do you think that's going to be a positive thing for 2024?
1: Yeah. You know, I have my honest opinion is I really have no idea what's going to happen. And I, you know, I'm on post and Mastodon, you know, they're not that active. Right. I, I, I also am not nurturing it and spending. I'm still, I'm basically living in three places right now. I'm living Or most of my communications is on Twitter. I'm still there. And I am a Twitter guy. I kind of, it's simple and easy for me. I'm comfortable with it despite all my incredible reservations about Elon. Um, I'm on YouTube more, which I think YouTube is going to actually be the big winner right. um, of this because we are doing more audio and video mm-hmm. in our communications and YouTube is very good for that. Um, I've enjoyed uh, YouTube. I was always a little hesitant on mm-hmm. YouTube because I don't love Google, but I'm, I've bought into the YouTube thing. And then, uh, and then I have a newsletter at NDN.org that you can sign up for. And I think newsletters are really mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Um, I am I'm hopeful and what I do think is gonna happen is there's gonna be competition and mm-hmm. I think a year from now it'll be a little bit more clear about where yeah. people are going. What's gonna be interesting though to me, and let me just throw this out there, that I just don't know that we will ever go back to something like Twitter ever again. I, I just or Twitter was a year ago. I, I don't I don't know. I mean I, I what I think about a lot as somebody who's been in this business for a long time is that What's great about Twitter is it's so efficient. You know, mm-hmm. you can cover so much ground so quickly in reading. I don't, you know, I don't read as many journals anymore. You know I, I, my, my, you know, I get up in the morning, I read Twitter. I don't know, the interesting question would be is, what will be, will we ever go back to a place where social media itself is as prominent in our daily information flow as it was? And I don't. I just don't know the answer to that. I I, I don't. I think we're in a period of really healthy experimentation mm-hmm. um, with podcasts, and you know, I think Minus Touch is doing a lot mm-hmm. of really really innovative stuff. I've been super impressed with their use of video every day. I mean, I've joked with Jamie Harrison that DNC needs to become more like Minus Touch, you know, <laughs> yeah. and and. Um, and I and I, I so I'm I, I think we're in a I hosted an event. Let me just my last point in this. I hosted an event a couple of weeks ago where I had Joe Trippi from Resolute Square, David Rothkopf from Deep State Radio, Tara McGowan from Courier Newsroom, and Ben, you know, my sales from Minus Touch. And we had a whole. This is up on, on my YouTube page, my website. We had a whole hour long discussion about this. About. You know, what are they doing? How do they see this information war? What's their role? Where do they think this is all going? And I I think what I'm concluding is that I'm really excited about the innovation that we're seeing. This feels a little bit to me like the early blogosphere, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. 20 years ago, where there was just, it was sort of the Wild West. And, you know, um, and you're seeing much more. I I think there's going to be both these kind of large aggregators, right? But there's also going to be. You know there's a lot of original content coming from really deeply creative people and um you know you're one of them completely right yes. and and <laughs> and uh and it's just really it's exciting to me what's happening i i but what i am concerned about and the reason i am spending so much time the other anyway the reason i'm spending so much time talking to you know, podcasts like this and speaking to all the groups that have sprung up all around the country, because I think that's another really important piece. There's all these now Zoom groups that have sprung up that didn't exist four or six years ago that are, you know, really becoming a powerful part of our ecosystem. To me, the the most urgent thing in the next two years is for people to develop an identity of themselves as as players in the information space hmm. and that and that whatever it is you can do and you, you know you want to do this fine line between being aggressive and being annoying with your friends right <laughs> um, but i i do think raising the intelligence level mm-hmm. and the knowledge and expertise of the three or four million people and have them become more effective combatants in the information war more ab- effective advocates i think that that's like Dropping a massive boulder in a small pond, the the mm-hmm. rivulets that come out from that yeah. could be you know unbelievable. And so it has to be both, right? We have to have promote the work you're doing and the more traditional kind of media mm-hmm. things, and we need regular people to step up and and do their part. I mean, I I'll just end with this: is that this right now today? There's a, a gathering in in Europe um, of the European Union having a day long conference about you know the information space winning the information mm-hmm. war and you know the one of the top leaders of the European Union talked about how the information war is the most important war that we're going to be fighting over the next 10 years mm-hmm. there's no consciousness in the United States about thing. there's no there's no public leader that speaks like that mm-hmm. right and that's because they're close to Russia they've been living in this world of propaganda and russian you know disinformation yeah. for generations we were you know we were at least a little bit more distant because of the, the being overseas, and it was harder for Russia to reach into our culture. Well, that's not true anymore, right? and And I think we have been really behind as a country and as a party in understanding the nature of the conflict that we're now in mm-hmm. with Russia and China, which is cyber, it's kinetic, meaning actual war, it's traditional geopolitics. But it's also informational. Mm-hmm. And and if one of the things that I go back to when I give my talks on this stuff, I go back to this remarkable thing, which is we now know that the first major Russian social media campaign, disinformation influence campaign that happened in the US was in twenty fourteen and it was anti vax. Hmm. Right. Wow. We know that. That's been documented, right? I remember. We also now know, we also look back and know that the second organization that the Russians targeted for penetration and influence was the NRA, right? also happened during that period. What do those two things have in common? Anti-vax kills more Americans, Mm -hmm. and the NRA kills more Americans, Mm -hmm. right? So these were things that were done in order to destroy us from within, right? And and the anti vax stuff is become this corrosive, divisive insanity inside of our country. I mean, vaccines are mandatory for my daughter's lacrosse camps in yeah. the summer. I mean, why is this even controversial, right? right. Yeah. And and so it's because the Russian government invested extraordinary amounts of time ginning up and creating space around the anti vax conversation. And so I just think we have to stop being naive. I think that one of the areas that I'm going to be talking and doing a lot of work on is really trying to help people understand the nature of the conflict that we're in without it becoming overwhelming or scary. And and that's why, you know, we are in a significant and serious conflict mm-hmm. with authoritarian regimes mm-hmm. around the world. Our party was called on to defeat authoritarians mm-hmm. during World War II and the Cold War We're being called to do it again. Yep. And the way that we all build our victory garden the equivalent of the victory garden is by being information warriors right that's the that's the difference and so i want to thank you for being a leading information warrior in our family and and uh and for the commitment you and passion that you brought to this and i'm really just it's been a pleasure to get to know you and i'm really happy to support you in any way i can
0: well and i feel the same way and before i let you go and thank you um i just want to throw this out there i you know before i think it was in 2019 I had this idea and I can't do anything about it, so I'm throwing it out there in case anybody's (laughs) listening and in case you know people. But, you know, back in the 80s, we had, like, Live Aid and we had all these bands come together um, for a purpose to raise awareness and to raise money. And I would love to see some kind of modern-day Live Aid but for uh, to to defeat white supremacy, to defeat fascism because it's not just an American problem. It's a global problem. And And, you know, if some way you know like a new Bob Geldof or something somebody could just like you know put together a concert so that we could utilize pop culture in helping this information I just think it would be awesome to see and I don't know how you if, if you would raise money for like the ACLU or or you know to, to raise money for all those people fighting the hate I don't know, but I think that it would be great if that could happen. I don't need to be the person, you know, running yeah. it. I wouldn't even know how, but it's such a good idea, and I'm just throwing it out there to anybody, and I know yes. you know people, so there Kimberly, you go. Kimberly, <laughs> I think it's, a, listen,
1: I, I, think, I think what you're describing is that we need to become more intentional and honest about the nature of yes. the conflict that, that we're in, right? Yeah. And, and that we have to organize differently. We are not adequately organized no. right now, and, you know, and you know a lot of this work is being done by ukrainians who are dying mm-hmm. in unbelievable numbers and have had incredible dislocation you know we i i will tell you i'm so my grandfather was a ukrainian oh. it was a jew, a jew from the ukraine jews of course ran away from ukraine mm-hmm. in those days they weren't um but i i i have such incredible let me say this that on the days where i wonder like is everything going to be okay mm-hmm are we going to make it, right? Like, am I really, can, can I go get a real job instead of what I do for a living? <laughs> um, I think about people in Ukraine, yeah. and I think about yeah. the sacrifices that they're making. Yeah. And we have an obligation, Kimberly, to bring it, you know, to leave it all in the playing field because that's what they're doing.
0: Right. And,
1: and we need to be inspired by them and to make sure that so they feel true. that connection and that partnership because we're in the same battle, but they're they're sacrificing so much more than we are at this yeah. point and so yeah I, I think you're right I think we have to get creative we're not we are not adequately organized for the nature of the conflict that we're in right now and we've got a lot of work to do and that's part of what I'm doing I'm doing my little piece but we all have a role to play right
0: we all do yeah we
1: are we are individual voices in a chorus of millions and the key is now to have that chorus singing together and not being disparate, and and that's you know that's our work that we need to do together in the months to come.
0: Oh, Simon, I just wish you could be in everybody's brain all day long. But um, <laughs> so I'm so grateful that you came. Yeah. And I know that you gave us all of your socials before but just run, do do them again where, yeah. where do people find you? Simon
1: WDC at Twitter, I know we're all at Twitter for now and there will be other options uh, Simon WDC on YouTube and my website is NDN.org those are the three most important places
0: Awesome, I'm also at on Twitter author Kimberly, don't forget the extra E at the end of my name, my books are on Amazon I'm also on Spoutable at Kimberly Johnson Simon, thank you so much, I love talking to you. Thanks Kimberly Take care